Thank you so much for that message through song. What a a neat and special thing to have a mother-daughter up here singing. And Carissa, man, how cool is it to have you on the piano? That's pretty awesome. I hope we get to have more of that. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. We are going to take a a break from the the book of Deuteronomy this week um, because of Mother's Day. And we're going to jump back into the New Testament for, for one week. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at the very end of Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Undoubtedly, this is a a story that you have heard many times before, but I think it is still worth our time to dive into the text and, and to really think about what is happening and what is being taught through this encounter. And so I'm going to read verses uh, 38 through 42 of Luke chapter 10. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And the word of God says this, it says, now, as they were traveling along, he being Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted and all her preparations with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered by so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Please be seated. In preparation for this sermon, I was encountered by a very interesting fact, and it's something that my wife and I have talked about before, but it was still quite quite shocking to, to see it in black and white. And it said that the average human being makes about 35,000 decisions in any given day. That's a lot. And I have no doubt that if you are a a lady or if you are a mother in this room today, you have felt the weight of 35,000 plus decisions in your life. Amen. I have every belief in my mind that men drag that average down and that women are probably way higher than that. I looked all over the place to figure out if there was a difference between how many decisions that men make in any given day or any decision that women make in a given day. And the only thing I can figure, I didn't see anything. And I can only thing I can figure is a lot of scientists are men and a lot of men are afraid to ask. That's the only thing I could figure out. And so when we think about that, there is a lot of decisions that need to be made, and I, would, and I would probably suggest that often women are making more decisions, having to make more judgments in any given day than the average men. Take, for example, if you were planning to have friends over for dinner. A woman will undoubtedly probably decide what we are going to eat, what the main courses are going to be, the side items are going to be, if they're going to be appetizers, if there, is there going to be dessert, what are we going to have to drink? Because of those decisions, they have to decide what kind of groceries do they need, where are they going to get those groceries, which groceries they're going to get at which store. Then they have to focus on how they're going to prepare the food. What do you prepare first? What can you make the day before? What has to be ready at a certain time? At what order do you make them in? And what seasonings do you put in them? Or do you exclude because, you know, so-and-so doesn't like onions and this person won't eat raisins and so on and so forth. 
Then you have to ask the question, how will the table be set? Will we do this buffet style? Will we do this family style? Are we going to serve them their plates um, directly? Are we going to let them serve their own plates? What are the children going to eat? Because Lord knows they won't just eat what we put on the table. So now you have a second meal to plan for and what this, what that going to be. And does your kid like chicken nuggets shaped like dinosaurs or chicken nuggets shaped like stars? These are questions that women have to answer. You have to tell the guests when to arrive, when dinner will be served. You have to clean the house and decide what is going to get cleaned and what is going to get hidden. A lot of times you have to worry about things like colors, ambiance, decoration, and even what you are going to wear, what your children are going to wear, and all of those things. A man has to decide, do I put on shoes or can I stay barefoot? Maybe the guy has to decide what time to fire up the grill. All of these things lead us to a thing called decision fatigue. And decision fatigue has been a a, a kind of newly created medical idea. It is the overworking of your brain regarding decision making that leads to cognitive overload. Have any of the mothers in this room ever felt decision fatigue? Uh, I'm pretty much at 100% right here. I have literally had conversations with my wife before, and I'm like, hey, it's your birthday. What do you want to do for your birthday? And she has looked me dead in the eyes and say, for my birthday, I don't want to decide. And I've never been more scared in my entire life. (laughs) Symptoms of decision fatigue include sleepless nights, short fuses, feelings of helplessness, tiredness, brain frog, and a slow-brained fog, not brain frog, um, though could be, and a slowed ability to make decisions. Psychologists give all kinds of solutions to decision fatigue. These include delegation, allowing other people to make decisions, whether that be your spouse, your children, or a coworker, streamlining decision-making processes, using lists or even technology to make those decisions, the idea of just letting the, the uh, GPS decide what, what route you take on a certain trip versus you making those decisions yourself, or just cutting back and decluttering your calendar so there are less decisions that you have to make. But as we look at this story in the Gospel of Luke, I want you to notice how Jesus addresses the the decision fatigue and frustration of Martha. Jesus called Martha to shift her focus from all the distractions to the good or even the better things that really mattered in life. Lord willing, all of us in this room, especially our mothers, can be encouraged by the words of Jesus in this passage. So let's dive into our passage and begin to look at the distractions and the decisions that Martha was facing. If there's one thing I I want you to to begin to notice about distractions or about decision-making in the world today is that there is always going to be a distraction or a decision that has to be made. As we enter into our story, we find Jesus and his disciples making their way to Jerusalem. They are on their way. They are really kind of making their way to the Palm Sunday and all the things that transpire at Easter. And as they are on their journey, they are welcomed into the home of Mary and Martha. Now, we know from the Gospel of John that Mary and Martha live with their brother Lazarus. 
and that the town in which they live in is the town of Bethany, which is very close to Jerusalem. In fact, just on the Mount of Olives, just on the other side of the hill. Our passage states that it is Martha who welcomes Jesus into her home. The passage goes on to say that she, that Martha, was distracted with all her preparations. The original language just says that she was distracted with much service. And if we kind of go back to our guest scenario that we started our conversation with this morning, we can probably begin to piece together what had Martha in all of an uproar. Not only was she preparing food, but she was waiting on the guests. They were filling drinks, picking up after these men, and who knows what else. When In this passage, when to have Martha invite these men into her home, the men and the disciples and who else would have been a part of it would have come in and gone to the table and sat down and reclined at the table, and they would have been talking. In the midst of this specific one, you would have had Jesus reclining probably on some sort of cushion at a low table surrounded by the rest of the disciples and whoever else might have been there. And he was teaching. He was kind of doing his thing and, and having those, those remember what I talk about, those on-the-road conversations with his people, having those conversations and teaching. And in the midst of all of this, her sister, Mary, is just sitting there. And it makes a very specific point of saying, was sitting at the Lord's feet. There's, there's meaning behind those words. What that is saying is that she was quite literally, quite literally sitting at his feet, but the idea was that she was sitting as though one of his students, which would have been a, a, an astounding thing at this time because no, no uh, 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 respectable rabbi would take the time to teach and disciple a woman. And yet that is the exact picture that we are painted with, given And so we have Mary sitting there. She is taking in the teachings of Jesus, but Martha is running about filling up drinks, making sure food is laid out, make sure it's laid out in the right order, making sure everyone has a plate and a cup and all the other things running back and forth from the kitchen that could have even been outside in these times, in and out of the place, trying to make sure that everybody was taken care of through the whole thing. It was a never-ending demand on her time while the people were there. And it probably started long before they arrived and would probably last long after they departed. And when we think about the decisions and the distractions of our life, they can appear just as never-ending. There is always something or someone demanding your time, demanding you to work, demanding you to do something, be somewhere, get ready, be prepared. There is always that pressure on life. Amen? I was reminded about something Solomon said as I was thinking about the frustration and the busyness of Martha. And he says that there is a certain man without a dependent having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, and for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity and is a grievous task. That's Ecclesiastes 4.8. In other words, this man worked himself to death, and he never stopped for even a moment and asked, Why am I working so? And I have to be honest with you. I think we as followers of Jesus often slip into this trap. 
where we become so overcome and so distracted by the demands of this world that we stop thinking about why we exist to begin with and why we are working the way we are. We have a world and we have a life that is constantly demanding our attention and doing everything it can to to keep us from thinking about what really matters. And we may find ourselves one day at the end of our career or at the end of life going, what was it all for? And what am I going to do with everything? See, the distractions and the decisions that exist in this world will always be there. And there will never come a point in your life where everybody is satisfied with you. They will always want more. They will always ask for more. And they will always expect more. And not only are these distractions always there, never ending, but also the second thing I want you to understand is that these distractions always seem important and urgent in the moment. See, for Martha, she is busy doing all of these things because she thinks these are the most important things that could possibly happen at that time. And all of it is just the most important thing she could possibly do. For her in this moment, it was more important that Jesus had wine in His cup that she take time and be filled with His Word. And for her, that was really important at that moment, so much so that she was running and, 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 and forcing herself, constantly saying, I just need to get this one more thing done. Have you ever said that? I just need, if, let me just get this done. And then I'll have some more free time. Let me just get this thing done. And then, and then I can take, take a breather. Let me just get these things done. And then we'll have some time. We know it's not true. And we'll keep saying it and keep saying it. But always that next thing looks so important and so urgent. I came across another phrase in my preparation for this message, and it was, I love this statement. It called, and it was the tyranny of the urgent. And many of us live under the oppressive tyranny of the urgent. Because things of great pitch and moment always seem to dominate the right now and also steal our future. I have no doubt that as, that as Martha was running around, she had this sense of urgency. If I just get, I just need to get the bread out and I just need to get this cup filled. And if I can just get the olives on the table and if I can just get the oil out and if I can just get the, the meat or whatever it was, the fish out. And there was always one more thing for her to get done and it all had to get done right now or as fast as possible. And all of her tasks ultimately monopolized this moment in her life And when it would be all said and done, she would suddenly realize that her moment to just be with Jesus had passed. We can all feel like unfinished tasks are shouting at us. And this could be things in the house. I was joking with my wife and some other people this week that that I wanted to take a little time and just relax. And we have a deck in, in the back of our house and some some lawn fur, you know some furniture you know patio furniture. And, and I went out to sit and, and just enjoy the kind of cool of the evening. It's one of my favorite things to do. And, and I went out there to enjoy that time. And I found myself sitting there and staring at my deck and at my siding, thinking, "Man, I need to power wash that." 
And as I'm trying to enjoy the moment, my, my, my dirty, scummy, slightly discolored white siding was shouting at me, telling me what I needed to get done. It could be jobs or an email that needs to be responded to, your work and the next deadline that's coming up, laundry that still needs to be folded or needs to be washed. But I want you to understand something. Just because something is loud or that it feels like it has to be done in the moment or has to be done immediately does not mean that it is the most important thing or even the best thing for you in that moment. In fact, Scripture repeatedly points to us the fact that often the loudest voice is not the most important. And often the loudest thing is not the best thing for us. Some examples for you. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8 says this, A wise man's heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. And I had to think about that moment and this babbling fool, this babbling was the noise and the constant talk and the constant need to, to make noise. But the reality is, is that following the babbling fool would lead you to destruction. Just because something makes a lot of noise doesn't mean it is something that needs to be addressed. Even Peter refers to, to Satan as the roaring lion who wants to devour us all. That's 1 Peter 5, 8. The enemy makes a lot of noise, but his desire is ultimately to consume you. Often the loudest things in your life are the loudest things because the enemy is wanting you to focus on anything but your walk with the Lord. I know that there are things in your life because there are things in my life right now that are never going to get done, that there's always going to be that pressure, and it probably, but all they are trying to do is keep you busy so that you do not consider your steps. We only have so much life to live. The Bible says that the Lord numbers our days. And this may sound crazy, but I do not believe for a moment that the Lord is going to really care how perfect your house looks or how manicured your lawn is or how well you did in every aspect of your job or in these things. Now, does that mean we just put these away and we never worry about them ever? No. But we can be consumed by the next thing we need to get done. And we can become so consumed by these things that we, do, that we miss the things that matter. We can become so busy that we forget to spend time with the Lord. We become so, so consumed with this life that we forget to invest in our children and we forget to invest in the next generation. We become so consumed by all the things we want to accomplish that we never stop to consider why we were created. And I want to challenge you today fight that because there's always going to be something to get done and that something is always going to seem like the most important thing in the world and in the midst of all of this in our story she's busy and she's trying to get it done and and all these things are are yelling at her she hears the empty cups and she hears the empty place and she has the hustle and the bustle and she's moving as fast as she can and, and she can't get it all done and she's frustrated and she's busy and finally she steps into the situation and goes jesus don't you care that i'm working my rear end off here and martha's just sitting there tell her to come help me Now, I don't know what kind of tone she had. 
But as it's been pointed out in the past, I'm a yeller, so I'm just going to assume that she yelled. But let me tell you, can you imagine the level of frustration that must have been in her voice that she would interrupt Jesus' teaching to get him, to get her, to, to, to get up and help him, help her? That was a lot. To be so frustrated that she essentially stops everything and kind of causes a scene, I think would imply she had had her fill. Amen? So then we have to go back and look at how Jesus responded. And man, first off, Jesus is amazing. Because he gets interrupted by this wonderful lady, kind of pitching a fit. And his response, and again, I know I'm putting my own thought in this one. He responds in the most gracious and loving way that I probably could never do. Let's go back to the text. Let's pick up in the second part of verse 40. And he said, it says that she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? then tell her to help me. I don't know how you say that without having a little bit of attitude on there. There had to be a little head bobbing going on in there. And it said, but the Lord answered her and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Martha saw a sister who was not helping her. And a lot of times that seems to be all we can see too. All we can see is that people are not helping. All we can see that, that people aren't volunteering or they're not jumping in. They're not reading your mind. And we can become angry and bitter and upset at other people, whether it's other people in our family or in a church or in our job. And make no mistake, I'm not communicating to you today that we should just not care about anything or I'm not communicating that you should never sign up and help out for children's church or nursery because you don't want to miss a sermon. I'm not saying that. Service is important and huge in the church. But Jesus saw a woman who chose to be present with Him in the moment. And He acknowledged that this was the best thing for her at this moment and He was not going to take it away from her. One of the interesting things about uh, verse 42, it says, For Mary had cho has chosen the good part. The word good could mean good, better, or best. And so even with that, there is an implication here that this good part that Mary had chosen was the better part or even the best thing that she could possibly do, be doing. Jesus was not saying that Martha's service was not appreciated or that she was wrong for doing it. He knew what she was doing. He was fully aware. Notice he says, Martha, Martha, you are troubled by so many things. He says, you are, bothered, you are worried and you are bothered by so many things. It wasn't that Jesus was unaware and it wasn't that Jesus didn't care. He recognized her service and her service was good. But what was happening to her service was it was ceasing to be an act of worship to Jesus and it was becoming something else. 
She was so wrapped up, so worried and bothered by all that was happening in this moment that she was missing the opportunity to spend time with her Lord. Jesus had actually taught about this, and it actually makes me wonder if he would have sprung into a conversation like this in the midst of the dinner party. In Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 31, we read this. Jesus says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. See, the challenge today is to embrace the good stuff. To, to, to seek out and to take time to enjoy the better things or the best thing. And it's not, and I, I'm going to tell you what, the best thing is not just game night with your kids. Because that can become just as legalistic as a thing as anything else. What Jesus was saying in this moment is, listen, All the preparations and all the things, that's fine and that's good. But what Mary is doing is she is she is with me. She is sitting at my feet. She is learning from me. She is seeing the importance and the advantage of just being in the Word. Being, being saturated by the teachings and the word of Jesus that she was learning. And even in that moment, she was even in her own way, she was worshiping Jesus. And that was the best thing. There will always be a lawn that needs mowed. There will always be a person that needs a visit. There will always be a load of laundry that needs to get done. There will always be a job or a chore or something at your job that needs to get done. But I am challenging you today, don't miss out on just spending time with the God who loved you and created you and sent His only Son to die for your sins. These things are important too. And that doesn't just mean make sure you're having a personal quiet time and reading so much of your Bible because again, that can become just as legalistic and just as burdening as anything else. It's not about doing the things. It's about who you're with. And Mary chose to be with the Lord. It didn't just happen. And I can tell you this, it won't just happen. You have to make a choice. And you have to choose to ignore the shouting. Choose to ignore the the multitude of things that needs to get done. And you have to choose to seek His kingdom and His righteousness. And you know what happens? And I love this about Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all those things will be added to you. I'm sure you have a list of things that needs to get done. It may be a daily list. It may be a weekly list. I'm sure that you have the pressures of deadlines and other things on you. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first to sit at the feet of Jesus. Make a choice to prioritize your relationship with him. And you know what? When you do that and you let that saturate every other area of your life, you'll see that things get done and some things just go away. And then you'll begin to realize that there are things that God has for you that matter 
and the other things, the things that don't matter, they'll work themselves out. My question for you today is what pressures do you feel on your life today? How loud are they? How urgent do they want you to think they are? Are they good things? But they are distracting you and deterring you from the best things, like time with your Savior, discipling your children, worshiping God. I think we are a lot like Martha in this passage. We can be worried and bothered by so many things. But only one thing is necessary. And Mary shows us that one thing as she sits at the feet of Jesus. And my challenge and my question for you today is will you choose that? Will you choose in the midst of all the noise and all the demands on your life to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from Him and to be His disciple? If you are with us today and you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, we have a a way that we like to present the gospel here so that you can understand it. And it starts with with God's design. And, And we believe that God has a plan for your life and for mine and that God has made everything on purpose with a purpose. And that has been since the beginning. But we had a problem with that design, it appears. And so we decided that we wanted to create our own way and do our own thing. And that's what we call sin. Sin is doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, and not taking even into consideration what God wants you to do with your life. And if you, when we find ourselves, notice that sin is an error, that sin takes you somewhere, and the place it takes you is a place called brokenness. And brokenness is something that we all feel, everyone in this room from the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all experience that brokenness, and that brokenness is something that we feel deep And it tells us, like the noise that we were talking about, that we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, that we're not who we're supposed to be, that we failed in some way, shape, or form, or we are failing in some way, shape, or form, and we feel that brokenness. And we try to fix it. We try to fix that feeling. We try to work hard. We try to pour it into our kids. We try to be as religious as possible. And we numb that brokenness with drugs or alcohol or hobbies or whatever. But in the end of the day, we realize we're still broken because we can't fix brokenness from our brokenness. And so we needed something outside of our brokenness to step in. And that's what the gospel is. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came. In fact, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That's Jesus. And that Jesus lived a perfect life so that he could die on the cross for our sins. And not only die on the cross for our sins, but raise from the grave three days later. The Bible also says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And what that means is when Jesus came, he lived that perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave three days later to make a trade with us. And that trade was as he took all of our sin and the punishment for all of our sin and he gave us his righteousness so that we would be in right standing, that we would be good before God. But in order to make that, cha- make that trade, the Bible says something. In fact, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10.9 says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. We, say, we explain all that in a, in a very simple way here that says that we need to repent and believe. 
We need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He lived a perfect life, that He died on the cross, and that He rose from the grave three days later. And we also need to repent, which means we need to follow Jesus. We need to make Jesus the Lord of our life, turning from our sin and turning towards Jesus. The Bible says when we do this, that we will be saved, delivered from our brokenness, and begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life. Where are you at today? As you sit here in Tunnel Hill Baptist Church, maybe even here sitting right by your mama, where are you on this picture? If you're looking at this picture and you realize that you're still in a place of brokenness and you're trying to get out of brokenness, but you're trying all the wrong ways. You're trying to do it through religion. You're trying to do it through keeping your mama happy on Mother's Day. You're trying to do it through uh, working hard or who knows what else, but you recognize that you are still broken. Our question for you today is what is preventing you from placing your hope and trust in Jesus Christ today? Rest assured, the distractions of life are ready and, and, and excited to divert your attention from this picture today. To get you caught up on anything and everything that is not Jesus. But you're here now, and Lord willing, I have your attention if you're not looking at your phone. And my challenge for you today is, what is keeping you? Are you ready to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Believing in him, repenting of your sin, and becoming a follower of Jesus. If that is the desire of your heart today, I want to challenge you today. Put away the distractions. And sit at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, we come before you now, Lord, and we just thank you for the reminder that we have through Mary and Martha. Lord, we live in a busy, busy world. And we live in a world that wants to keep us busy because if the world keeps us busy, it keeps us from you. And my God and my joy, I pray that in this moment, right now, we can set the busyness aside and we can just focus on you. God, if there's anyone in this room who has been living a busy life, and because of that, they do not have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that today is the day that they put the busyness aside, all the decisions that they still think need to be made, and God, that they would sit at your feet, and that they would call Jesus Lord, that they would believe in him, and they would place their hope and trust in him. Lord, I'm amazed at how many of our decisions become streamlined when we say, I choose Jesus. Lord, I also know that there are many in this room who, who are followers of you, but the world is still distracting them. And like the weeds that surrounded the seed in the four sorrows parable, Lord, they are being choked out. And God, I pray that they would recognize that today and they would begin to start pulling those weeds. Lord, that they would begin to, to make their focus on you and that they would begin to choose you first in whatever way that means so that they might have time to just be with you and to enjoy your time and to enjoy your presence and to worship you. Lord, help us to not wander too far from the cross. But Lord, help us to stay fixed on you and let the bothers and the worries of this world take care of themselves because we know you are worthy. 
God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.